Hello from Spearfish, South Dakota. It's the Black Hills Information Security Podcast. This is the podcast version of our webcast, so the slides we might reference will be missing, but you can find the whole episode on our YouTube page. This is RDB Logging and Azure Active Directory Recon with John Strand, Bo Bullock, and Mike Felch. Enjoy. It is now time to get this started, and then Bo's already sharing out his slides. Welcome to our next webcast, everybody. Greatly appreciate it. I have Mike and Bo on. They're going to be talking about RDP logging bypass and Azure Active Directory Recon, which is area near and dear to our heart. You've heard me talk a lot about cloud-based research. And there's a lot of people in security and pen testing, and this is great. They're spending a lot of time talking about uh, endpoint security bypass. They're talking about how can we use Active Directory against itself. But the fact of the matter is we're quickly getting to the point where Active Directory is seen less and less and less, especially in some newer organizations. So we need to kind of branch out. And this is first of the webcast. So we'll start talking about some of these things that have predominantly been researched by Bo and Mike at Black Hills Information Security. And with that, I will serve as a channel for any questions that'll be coming up on the webcast and typing furiously to answer as many of those questions as possible. We also have CJ, our COO, is also answering as many questions as he can furiously. And then as we get to questions that I can't answer, which will be many, I will bring it up to both Bo and Mike. But with that, I'll hand it over to you gentlemen and I'll get to the questions. Hey there, everyone. Thanks for coming to the webcast today. As John said, we're going to be talking about a couple things. And, and these two things are actually from research that we did leading up to our Wild West Hack and Fest talk this last year. We had a few ideas initially going into that talk. And we ended up putting this like kind of mystery box of, of like Microsoft service, not necessarily exploits, but like different techniques for kind of getting around some of the traditional stuff that we see on pen tests. And we ended up throwing together four different things. And we kind of, I don't know, squished that all to one presentation and didn't really do, I would say, like the best job of describing as thoroughly as we probably could some of the items. We didn't have a lot of dialogue either. I think we kind of just, right. we had so much content, we just rushed through as much as we could. Well, yep. and there was, I think there was a couple of people that their hair was like pushed back. It was basically four keynotes and one presentation. So definitely like this is a great opportunity to ask questions, I think. We're going to definitely have more dialogue in this one to kind of um, flesh out some of these ideas. Let me introduce us first, right? So you have myself, Bo Bullock, Red Teamer, Pentester at Black Hills, and Mike Felch. Same thing and pretty much the same thing. <laughs> Hosts of some shows, <laughs> Drake Craft Security Weekly, CoinSec Podcast. And we, you know, Mike doesn't have avid OA enthusiasts under his, but he is. He's definitely. I had something for Google, but then I pulled it out. And so I didn't know what to put because like, I don't know. I did a lot of research on the Google side of the house. And, and so you were on the Microsoft. And so I, I was going to be like, oh, that'd be cool to put there. And then I couldn't find anything cool to put. So I just pulled it out. And, and speaking of Google, you're, you're going to be doing like some sort of webcast sometime soon about um, uh, completely yeah. evicting yourself from Google, right? Yep. Yeah. So fun fact, that picture is a picture of us that we snuck <laughs> into a security closet as Cisco employees. Just, you know, we do physicals too sometimes. Have fun. All right. So what we're covering today, like we've already said, RDP logging bypass and Azure AD recon. We're going to dive into each one of these pretty thoroughly in this webcast, I would say. For the first one, I'm going to be kind of leading up to the whole RDP logging bypass. So when I say logging bypass, we're talking about authentication failures bypassing those logs and, and the actual event logs. Um, and then for the Azure AD recon, Mike will be kind of chiming in on some really cool stealthy enumeration of AD. Okay. So this one was like the title would suggest curious to begin with and has become something that I feel like it's something that I, I want to show as many 
customers as, as I possibly can now. Like it's, it's gotten to the point where I've gotten on assessments now and I'm like, you really need to see this because this is something that I think is kind of eye-opening and it's not patchable per se. <laughs> it's something that you would have to do a great deal of effort to coordinate and figure out how this is actually happening and how to like alert on it. So I'm going to try to walk through this and, and try to step up into the uh, the point where we kind of like discover this. So it's, it's going to start out kind of like very low level talking about password spraying in general, and then kind of work our way into this, how to change up the logs. So credentials 101, let's talk about like what are credentials and why, what is an attacker needed credential? Well, first access leads to more access. We on pen tests and red teams, the first thing we're trying to do is get your users credentials at this point. I can't remember the last time that I've used an actual like exploit per se, like Mike, I mean. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's a lot of stuff's patched nowadays. I mean, at least some of the engagements that we're on and usually I think creds are, I say creds are king. That's like a little thing mm -hmm. I always say, everybody hears me say. But I'm going to completely agree with you. I mean, if the first thing that I'm doing is I'm looking for creds. And there's a number of ways we can do that too. Once we get credentials, like it could be really useful in the end game of what we're trying to achieve, or it could be something that's not really that useful. And, and what I mean by that is that there are different values for different types of sites that we get access to. So for example, let's say that we, we found a, an external web portal that your users use. That might be connected to Active Directory or it might not be. But let's say that we assume that it is something that is uh, connected to Active Directory and we fish one of your users. And you know, using like Mike's tool, CredSniper, which Mike, I don't know if you want to talk about CredSniper for a minute, like quick uh, overview of what yeah, that yeah. is. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So like you're targeting an organization, right? And a lot of times it's either going to be a Microsoft or a Google environment. I mean, nine times out of 10, it's one of those two. And you're external to the network and everybody wants to go internal and, you know, pop shells and do all the cool stuff that we've seen, you know, in videos forever. But the reality is if you can get and obtain a set of credentials for an employee at an organization, then you're good. So Cred Sniper was birthed out of this need for not only getting credentials, but also bypassing two-factor. So I got creds the first time. I fished them, I spearfished one of their people and and went to log in and I got hit with two-factor and I was like, no. And so <laughs> real quickly, I logged in with the credentials and then created a fake two-factor page in order to ask the user for the two-factor. And so that's basically how CredSniper was, was done. But the idea behind it is you can fish for credentials and fish for the two-factor token and behind the scenes cred sniper will log into the account to trigger the two-factor message to get sent to the phone and it's basically what it is mm -hmm. and with regards to like what we could get to after we get those credentials so we we've been dealing more and more with customers who are moving into the cloud like that's i think one of our methodology changes the big big methodology changes over the last year and a half has been that we've been really targeting the cloud services that our customers are using because that's typically where all the data is at this point which is kind of crazy to say you know like it used to be I think historically, most customers had this kind of like castle-like structure where they have, you know, like the firewall that's like the outside wall and all the data is inside. As organizations are getting larger, uh, you know, your workforce is being more remote in nature. We're finding that a lot of organizations are moving all of their infrastructure into cloud-based. Like, I mean, we'll talk about Azure here in a little bit, but I mean, you can put an entire organization in the cloud at this point, you know, you don't even need like on-prem servers. So a couple of quick questions that just popped up. Does CredSniper work against O365? Yeah, so it's modular based, so it'll actually work against any application website that's out there. The idea is that I pushed out a bunch of functionality for specifically for Google and G Suite. I do believe there may be an O365 module where there's a pull request. 
I don't know if I ever merged it. It might be there. I forget which ones I've merged already. And then there's a lot of them that we have internally that we use, but I don't ever push those modules just because, I mean, they're they're usually for a customer that's like a, a tech company or something. And so I don't want to just give the, the baby out. So, but you can create them for anything. You could create one for O365, a custom O365 portal, pretty much anything. Cool. And then another question, CredSniper, does it work with the likes of Duo? Yeah, so so what CredSniper does is it's authenticating to the actual web portal, right? So whatever login mechanism that's there for that user. And so typically what tends to happen is when you authenticate, that authentication portal will use whatever is configured, whether it's Duo, whether it's Google Authenticator, and then it'll log in. So as long as you're hitting those right routes for the authentication, like the post with the user credentials, and you script that in the module, then it'll work with pretty much any two-factor. It'll even work with the UTF devices, the, the hardware tokens, although it doesn't work with the G Suite because they've actually implemented it right. But let's just say that used, I don't know, password manager, and the password manager used the two-factor hardware token. They don't really verify properly. It's, it's a bad, poor implemented UTF implementation. So it'll work against even those. Yeah. I mean, once we get access to creds at this point, I mean, we find so much more data in things like file shares and on the cloud, like so SharePoint. In terms of O365, you know, we have Outlook, right? So we can read emails. So this is typically the first step for most attackers at this point, And it's definitely one of the first steps for us. So let's talk about password policies real quick. So the default for most environments is eight characters. So when it comes to us trying to obtain passwords through methods like password spraying, which, which we're gonna talk about, it's not that difficult because we find that the default password policy allows users to select really poor passwords. Things like fall 2018. Okay. so. Let's talk about a few different ways to get credentials. First off, most people already understand the concept of brute forcing a password. So that, that would be us trying, like, let's say a word list of thousands of thousands of passwords against one account in the hopes that one of those passwords is that user's password. Now there's definitely some web applications out there. There's a lot of different services that will allow you to just submit as many passwords as you want and not lock anybody out. But when we start talking about active directory logins, you're going to get locked out really quickly in most environments. There's if there's a lockout policy in place, which by default, it's usually around like the five character mark. Then there's another idea. What about password reuse? So, you know, over the last few years, we've collected a number of various breach dumps that have occurred. Mike, I mean, I know you have a number of files containing like a ton of creds. 1.8 billion. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. 1.8 billion creds. <laughs> I mean, those are real creds that have been dumped from various sources throughout the years. Like, for example, like the big LinkedIn breach that happened, like those creds just get dumped to the internet for the most part. And we add them to our, add them to the database of sorts. And what we find is that a lot of users typically reuse their passwords. And so if we can just go look at what they used on LinkedIn and then go try it on their corporate account, then we have a password reuse problem there and might have valid cred. Just chime in on this one. It seems like it's something that you would expect, right? But a lot of times you don't realize how it surfaces. So I have a database of all of the credentials and their cracked form, right? So the password, usually the password hashes get leaked and then we crack them or somebody else cracks them and then they get put together. But so this database, I will go to and search for a customer's domain and then export all of the credentials from the database. And then what I do is I'll move it into a spreadsheet and then I'll put a number representing how many times that password is in that list, and then I'll sort it. And what, what surfaces is a company's support help desk will reset their password to like welcome one. 
and mm. you'll see welcome one a number of different times. And what tends mm. to happen is these employees are taking that welcome one password and using them on third party sites because it's just something that's familiar to them. So it's weird how it shows up. Yep. Um, and then we already talked about credential phishing using something like Mike's Cred Sniper, uh, which is really, really great <laughs> at doing that job. Um, and then we're going to talk about password spraying, which this particular portion of the talk is kind of like. I like this picture. This, so this is a picture of a bunch of locks. And I like it because I think it kind of accurately kind of displays the picture of an Active Directory environment where you have users that have all these different locks, which could symbolize like their accounts, right? Now, there are such things as key to like locks. And what that means is that, you know, you can use the same key for multiple locks. Now, if an environment has multiple locks that are key to like, that means somebody used the same key. And that's kind of what we're getting at with regards to this password spraying issue is in that if I can figure out a way to sort of build a key that is common, like something that might be easy. So like, let's say that I could, you know, build the actual, the pinning out of the key to like, you know, one, two, three, four, five, which might be like a very basic way to look at it. I might be able to open a lot of these locks. So that's kind of like the, the very basic look at it. Now, what I'm trying to get out there is that we're not going to try using a thousand keys against one of those locks. We're going to try using one key against thousands of locks. And that's what password spring essentially is, is that we're going to try the same password against every account in your environment. And we could use something like winter 2018 at this point. And what we'll find is that a lot of your users likely have chosen something like that password because it does fit that policy. And while that'll generate thousands of failed logins, it won't actually lock any of those accounts out. And I mean, Mike, I mean, you know, like we do this all the time, like every assessment, I'm pretty sure we've talked about it on every webcast. <laughs> it's super successful, like highly successful. This is like what we do now. Yep. I mean, um, the only time it's not really successful is when they have a good password policy. Yep. Um, when your yeah. password policy is That's decent. rare. Rare. <laughs> it, is, it is pretty rare. Yep. What was it? The season and year has been replaced. We see season and year all the time. So like winter 2019 is going to come up very heavily. And then some organizations got smart. So they banned that password. And they're like, oh, you can't use season and year. And I think it was one of the recent tests somebody tried on the team, like season year with pound at the end. And they're like, oh, we just got 20 more. So it was just like a very small change in their password. Yeah, I don't know. So I don't understand why like something like winter 2018 could be banned, but winter 2018 pound wouldn't be, you know, because it, it, you would think like containing the word winter would be banned. Well, they're not looking at the plain text. Either. They're, looking at, they're looking at the hash of it, right? Uh, so they're, gonna, they're looking at, they're comparing hashes to, they're, they're taking the hash of the password for that user. And then they're taking a word list and then generating a hash and then comparing the hashes yep. um, with stored. Yep, and that only really works with like Landman, NT type environments or straight MD5 hashes. We actually had a customer recently that had a an internal, it was like a web app of sorts that was for changing their passwords. It was their like internal, like this is the site you use to change your password. And they actually did implement a, a password blacklist through that, which actually did like kind of what I was saying. It would look at what you're trying to set first, I think and then prevent you from selecting that word from the word list. Yeah, we have cred defense that does that too. Mm -hmm. it, it even installs, you can install it and it, it password audits, <laughs> does all kinds of cool stuff. Well, and it also does the, uh, the cred defense toolkit does actual words, but also variations of that word or if that word is being used. We had one group that got a hold of me. They actually took an entire dictionary and they fed it through and it wouldn't accept any passwords. <laughs> you have to be really, really careful. Typical AD password spraying, um, I've got a few different methods that we'd, we'd like to use. So if we have access to an internal system that has 
the ability to communicate with a domain with like a domain user's credential. We can use a tool that I wrote called Domain Password Spray, which is a PowerShell tool. It will go grab all the users from the domain and then try whatever password you want against all of this. Another method that I, I've used pretty often is just using Metasploit's SMB login module. Just feed it a user list and whatever password you want and point it at the DC and let it go. Or actually, I mean, any system for that matter. I mean, it'll tell you if the credential is valid because it will still authenticate to whatever domain it is if there is a system on the domain that you're pointing at. That. So again, like, so this technique will generate a lot of failed login events. And it's very easy to track this down. For the most part, you're going to be getting the, the source IP address for the user account that is generating these failed logins. So, you know, we've had multiple customers that have alerted on this at this point. And so we started kind of thinking of some new ways to try to evade that, that logging and the detection. So one of the first things that we started looking at is, well, like what are the setups they're using? First of all, like in terms of how are they alerting on it? Are they using, you know, Splunk engines? What is it they're pulling together? So we started doing this technique where we were performing these failed logins against OA. And this is something that we had, we had done on externals all the time. And, you know, traditionally you have like an OS server that's externally facing. And for the majority of the, the tests that we do, like I'm doing these failed logins externally and I never really cared so much for the attribution because, you know, in terms of like VPS is like, I could spin up like virtual private server and, you know, have a different IP from there or, or, you know, proxy it. There's a lot of ways to kind of evade externally, but what we wanted to look at is internally, how do we not get caught internally? So I started doing this on internal assessments and it turns out that like the actual logs that get generated from failed logins against OA are not in your same Windows event security log on that server. You have like, I guess, IIS logs next to it, which have those. And so for example, I had a customer I was just working on a couple weeks ago that I was doing this particular type of password spraying against their OA server. And they were seeing that the failed login events were occurring but there was no source IP. There was no attribution of where it was actually coming from. So th that is one method potentially, but like I said, there are IIS logs that you could coordinate where that IP was coming from. So where else could we try authenticating from? Mike, do you have something? So yeah, I actually, uh, it's kind of answering that question as well, but still externally, like link servers, right? So I know we've been doing link a lot lately as well. Have you noticed, I don't know if you've, if you've noticed anything, but between OA and link, like, OA, detecting OA but missing link, isn't that, or does it originate from the same location? So I'm not sure, but uh, it depends on what type of authentication is happening, right? So like I know with EWS, Exchange Web Services, that I believe that is an actual NTLM authentication to the server itself and not necessarily something that would show up in the IIS log, while OA is actually like an IIS service, I believe. Okay, because I had a customer that so, was detecting OA but not detecting Link, and I thought that was weird because I, I figured they would both be communicating with EWS or something. So one of the problems that I've, I've kind of looked into talking with some of our customers is you have like Microsoft Azure Security Center, and that incorporates a lot of really cool user behavioral and entity analytics. And then you have Office 365, which has its completely different, I think it's like OA cloud security or something like that. And that actually implements the user behavioral and entity analytics. And that's one of the problems that we're seeing with a number of vendors is they well have the ability to detect password sprays, but it'll be for a small subset of mm -hmm. all of your different properties that you're running, whether you're running like Amazon AWS or you're running Azure or, and OA and trying to tie those together as something that's just not happening as much as it should right mm -hmm. now. Cool. So we started looking like where else can we maybe try this? Like what, 
we were like we, I was on a purple team and we we're trying to figure out like how can we perform a password spray that they would not detect. And so we started looking at RDP and this is kind of what this whole thing is about now that we're, we finally got to it. <laughs> so what, what I did is I tested out this tool called XFreeRDP, which is a Linux based RDP client against a Windows server that the customer had. And to our surprise, like the failed login event on the server didn't actually contain the source IP address. The, the host name was in the log. And so like, I was like, oh, okay, well that's. That's not good. But then I started looking at some of the options for XFreeRDP and it shows that there is actually like an option to set the client host name, which I was like, what? Like, <laughs> wait, so I can, I can tell the client what to Relevant tell the server. To interests. Yeah. Like, so there's no IP and I can tell the client the host name I want it to tell the server. That's odd. So we set out to write this like password spraying tool with RDP with XFreeRDP first off. And in doing some research, we found that it's it's actually NLA that's the culprit as to why there's no IP. So network layer authentication. So you know when you go to RDP to a server and you have like the like pre like authentication box that pops up prior to you actually getting to the GUI that's like the Windows login. That's NLA pre-authenticating you before you actually get to the Windows like server like graphic user interface. So when that happens, it's it's allegedly supposed to be like more secure because you're not getting to like the GUI before logging in, you know, but there's no IP address that gets logged at that point. Yeah. I'll get to the point where I'm, I'm talking about like updated servers having this, but at, at this point, like Windows 2012 and back does not have the source IP. So I started digging into this and I was, I was wondering, well, this is, this has got to be something that is well known. I mean. Like, there's no way that I just found like some, you know, thing that's this, I mean, that's, that's like, that seems like a huge issue to me. And so I started just Googling around and I, I found some people talking about how that there's supposed to be another log that NLA should log to in the applications and services log. And it should be this operational event ID 140. So I started looking at that. And so what we found is that an event where you submit a failed login using a username that is not a member of that domain will in fact generate that log. So it will tell you a connection from this client computer with IP address of, of whatever, the attacker's system failed because the username or password is not correct. But oddly enough, that log does not get generated if you use a valid username. So if we go get a list of valid users from the domain and use that while we're password spraying, this log never gets generated. So even with an invalid password even with an invalid password. Yeah. So that's a bit concerning. So, so that just means you have to strategically spray, right? We're not just exactly. random usernames. So, we're actually pulling the users for the So domain. I had someone ask a question, which is weird. Okay. I'm getting a lot of WTFs going on right now. Okay. So somebody just said, what do you think about password spraying by asking the Kerberos KDC for creating TGTs directly? TGT is good password. No TGT equals bad password should be much yeah. stealthier. I think, I believe Mick Douglas sent us a, a password spraying Here. script that- I mean, that's better safety net. Yeah, I believe he just, he just sent us one that does that in fact. I have not looked at it in depth, but I believe that's what it does. It, yeah, I think it does exactly that. I will share that tweet out with everybody. Thank you. So um, here's, a, here's a quick demo. So we've got our attacking system here. It's Calibox with IP address of 192.168.88.245. 
And I'm going to show you like basically our, our desktop first, because our desktop doesn't actually have like the NLA ability built into it. You'd have to set up Kerberos and stuff on the, on the Kali box to, to get our desktop to do that. So it doesn't actually RDP using NLA. It just uses the, the traditional, I think it's, it uses TLS to, to do this RDP. So we're going to generate a fail login event with our dvader user on the domain. And let's go take a look at the log. So if we go and refresh and there's our audit failure. So this is the traditional log you would expect. You have the username, you have you know unknown unknown username or bad password. This is what you would traditionally correlate and be like, oh yeah, that attacker is coming from this IP address. Let's go shut them down, whatever, right? So what I wanted to do, and, and we mentioned this earlier, the fact that X3RDP has a, an option for the client hostname, I couldn't get it to work, but I found a kind of a workaround for that. And I generated this super <laughs> janky proof of concept script that I, I absolutely want to make better, but it definitely demonstrates the point. So what, what you see here is a list of host names that I kind of just threw in a file and just seen you know, a printer one, not an attacker. So these are going to be the list of host names that we send to the server that actually do get logged. Yeah, we would it'd be really cool to pull the servers on the domain and pull those usernames and then put those in the list. That way you're spraying and it looks like it's coming from, from a specific Dallas. server and yep. now your incident response teams are running to that server and they're doing their digital forensics on it and trying to figure out what's going on. And Even better, make it look like it's coming from like a security admin system, spraying <laughs> network. <laughs> Shut down the, the sock. Bobby, what are so, you doing? Our pen test got the lead security analyst fired. <laughs> 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 so, and then here's our list of domain users that we're going to be actually spraying against. So this is something we would attained from the domain already. So list of valid users. So we don't generate that other log. And then I have this, like I said, this, this proof of concept script, which I'll, I'll show a link to that at the end of this. And we're going to use a password of spring 2017, because that's my little test domain. I I've had it built since then. So <laughs> that's the password that was valid at this point. <laughs> And so what, what you'll see here is the cred was probably valid, but the user's not allowed to RDP. And what that means is that, so this was this was a, a DC in my little test environment. And what I was doing is essentially just showing that the credentials user is valid on the domain, but they're low level users. They're not, you know, they're not DAs. They're not gonna be able to, to actually RDP against that DC. So the script will tell you that. Jim just pointed out, he goes, this is, this is gonna create a lot of chaos. Yes. <laughs> So let's go refresh the logs and take a look at some of these audit failures at this point. So if we start scrolling down, we see workstation name share five we, <laughs> with no source IP. Let's take another one. Workstation name share one with no source IP. So, I mean, you, you get the point, right? I mean, it's we're, we're telling your logs, the host name, don't look here, with no IP in the log. And this is, this is RDP with NLA's fault. So let's go look at the other log that's supposed to have the event ID 140. If we take a look at that log, we'll see that there's no event ID 140s in our logs either. There are logs that will say that the server accepted a TCP connection from an IP address. And so this gets to the point where we talk about correlating these logs. So the fix for this is correlating a informational level log with an informational level log from that applications and services log with the failed login log that doesn't actually show you a host name or IP, which becomes like a time battle at that point. Like you have to be fast, right? Like you'd have to like correlate it quickly, right? Like you'd have to see like, boom, failed login, boom, source IP from this other log. So that's, that's kind of like what the recommendation is there.
So Robert said application and services, Windows NTLM logs will capture the information IP address of the failed login. Yeah, that's what that's what I was just saying is with the application services log, you'll you'll get that source IP, but it doesn't actually correlate it to a failed event log. That's what I was trying to say. Oh, like, okay. Like it doesn't actually tell you there's a failed event log. You'll see a connection. So I mean, if you're you know spraying a DC, you probably have connections from other places as well. You know. Yep. And a lot of people are asking about the defenses for this, and everybody that's coming up, just sit tight. Yeah. <laughs> people, people are panicking, and that's okay. You know, the the pen tester side of us, the attacker side, I want to build it better. <laughs> I want to make it something I can just do in Windows. But you know, for now, that's the proof of concept. So like, this is what I was going to tell you is with Windows Server 2016, they did fix that. Okay, so upgrade to 2016. That's the fix. <laughs> that's the that's the true fix. It does log the source IP. If you can't, you have to correlate those other logs. So you have to be able to look at the failed event log that happens that you don't have any attribution, you don't have the IP address, you don't have the host name, the valid host name, and you have to be able to correlate that with that applications and services log. This blog post here has a great example of how to do that. So if there's any screenshot to take, this would be the one to do. We'll have these slides up later too, right, John? Yes, all the slides and this will be archived and shared out. And then again, like it might be worth taking a look at just firewall logs for the, the meantime too, which I mean, I know that can be a pain in the ass, but <laughs> yeah. Alrighty, Azure AD Recon, Mr. Felch. Yeah, fun stuff. Okay, cool. So you're controlling. So this idea is, so we, once we get creds, we've been talking about creds a lot, but the idea was on a red team, you're external to the internal network. And usually the companies that we're testing are pretty decent companies, I would say. I mean, we've had obviously our handful of ones that were just, were horrid, but the majority of the ones I think, at least that I've seen from the red team perspective, seem to be pretty, pretty well secured with your traditional controls. They usually have a good internal team or SOC. You know, your traditional, let me just throw some macro ridden doc at some employee to see if I can pop a shell. Days are kind of over, or at least coming to a, a halt. They haven't been very successful. And so Instead of going the traditional route, I, I tend to look at an organization and say, let me do a really decent threat model of what I'm looking at, what infrastructure we found during the recon, what are they using for mail gateway, that'll give us a good indicator if they're a Microsoft company or a G Suite company, and then target the organization the way that you would expect a adversary to target the organization, not just throw stuff at the wall, although there are those that are happening as well. And I think, you know, you could still get the prints, send me a million dollar emails every once in a while. But the likelihood of that being successful in the environments that we've been testing has went down. And so because of that, as a result, it's forced our hand to kind of look in areas where we haven't looked before or that haven't been discussed very much publicly. I mean, we love reusing other people's research and building on it and trying to make things better, but sometimes you don't have that ability. And so and that's kind of what we what we came with regard to this. So, you know, Bo and I have been working on the G Suite for a while now and kind of leveraging the different features of G Suite. And so I wanted to kind of do the same thing, but looking at from Microsoft's perspective and then start kind of researching from there. And so that kind of led me down this rabbit hole of I, I have credentials for this employee. I'm reading their email. Super nice lady as well. Felt really bad, but I didn't know what to do. I didn't want to really like... I didn't know what to do. I'm kind of in this this jam where I'm not really able to pivot anywhere. I'm still external. I don't want to try to pop any shells because I think that's just really loud and kind of reckless, especially if they're a cloud-based organization. And so I started kind of just looking around at what options Microsoft had for O365 and 
And if you've ever looked at the product suite from Microsoft for their cloud-based servers, don't do it. It is a nightmare. I mean, they have so much stuff. I mean, they have Exchange, Exchange Online, I mean, Office 365, and then they have, I mean, it's a mess. You have so many different authentication mechanisms that they've kind of grown over the years that we'll get into. And so that kind of birthed out this idea that I found with regard to Active Directory, but within Azure. And so that's kind of where we start with this. So external Active Directory is really interesting. And so the the, the concept is, once again, low privilege credentials are gold. Creds are king. And if you've ever been on an internal engagement as an offensive security person, or even as somebody that manages an Active Directory domain on the internal network, you might be familiar with AD Explorer, really cool tool. But so this is pretty much just as good, if not probably better in some cases. Another cool thing with external Active Directory is, is you using low privileged users, I could log in, I could pivot over to Azure, and and I'm gonna and now we're gonna get into the details of it. But I can create guest users. So imagine, I mean, imagine the 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 same thing happening on the internal network where you were able to like, like, let's just say that you were sitting on the internal network and you were able to create a credential in Active Directory as a regular user, as a low-level user. That sounds unheard of, yet we have that ability kind of within external Active Directory within Azure AD. The other beauty behind this is you can target the organization much more quickly. I mean, if you're on the internal network, there's awesome tools for that, like Bloodhound, and it'll give you like who are the, all the groups, all their sessions and all of, you know, where they're logged in and the whole nine yards. But on the external network, when you're not even in the organization yet, targeting an organization traditionally has always been, let me just go to LinkedIn to see what employees are on the software development team and then try to profile it using open source intelligence. This gives us the ability to kind of profile and target the organization much more quickly because now we could start seeing things and tearing apart Active Directory groups and kind of looking at it. And then the other thing is you could usually completely go under the radar. Like on the internal network, I mean, they're logging for net user slash domain. So you're going to be able to be loud or there's ADFS and all these other ADSI where a lot of the internal commands are on the endpoint are being detected or the network communication over the Active Directory environment is detected. But when you're external to the organization and you're looking at a portal that's in Azure that they might not be aware of, a lot of that can go under the radar. And so that's another thing that I really like about this. And so because of that, this is all externally. And I thought it was a pretty big deal whenever I started kind of coming across it. So yeah. And so before we get into kind of the details, how does this work? And so if you're familiar with Microsoft environments over the years, you might be familiar with like DirSync and that's for synchronizing Active Directories kind of across the on-prem systems. And then they moved to kind of like this Azure AD sync, which was kind of like directory sync, but for Azure, including Azure and on-prem. And then they had like Forefront Identity Manager. And so taking all of the traditional stuff that they've done and they changed the name you know, a gazillion times, they have Azure AD Connect. And the concept's pretty simple. You have an engine that's kind of running on-prem in the Active Directory environment, and then you have the syncing service, which is running in Azure. And, and so basically, whenever you have applications that want to authenticate to Active Directory, they're going to come in and they're external to the environment. They could use some sort of federation or these different synchronizations to do the authentication with Azure. And those still single sign-on accounts can be validated against the internal on-prem Active Directory if you're still running that kind of hybrid model. But it doesn't have to be that way. You can run all Azure Active Directory. And so it's an, it's really supports a number of different authentication 
and endpoints where you can kind of communicate with an Active Directory environment. That's kind of the, the nuts and bolts of the authentication. If you want to go to the next slide. And so this happens in a, in a kind of a cool way. The first thing that happens is there's a, a traditional MD4 hash on the on-prem server within Active Directory. They generate a SHA-256 hash of that hash. That's obviously to avoid the historical pass-the-hash problems that they've had within on-prem environments. The domain controller is going to add a salt to that, and it's going to send the salt and the hash of the hash to Azure. It's going to use some sort of envelope, and then Azure is going to get it, and it's going to decrypt it and store that password hash in Azure. And so then, and then what happens is if, as you authenticate against Azure Active Directory, it's going to hash your password and it's going to compare that hash with the stored hash to determine whether or not it's the right password. And so that's kind of how it happens. And it happens on an interval. It could, I mean, I think you could fine tune a lot of this stuff, but it's a fairly good model, I guess, for being able to, to cache user passwords in that environment. Now, depending on the synchronization configuration, which is, can get really complex, Azure could actually synchronize back with Active Directory. So you could update Active Directory objects from Azure and synchronize back to Active Directory. And, and so that kind of happens with that same session and the yards. But this is basically how the password gets hashed and, and whatnot. And so I'm going to go to the next slide and we'll talk about a little bit more on what's actually happening. And so what does this mean? Globally, this is what it means. We have the ability now to identify all the users of an organization, all of the forest, all the domains that are there, we can read the Active Directory properties that you would normally see kind of on that Active Directory object within the on-prem environment. If you know what that means as a red team or as a pen tester, sometimes, actually a lot of times, you can find notes on Active Directory objects that have like passwords, plain text in there because the support team says, hey, I updated this password to support you know, 2018. Sally from Black Hills actually is the one that put me on that. I didn't even know about it. And she showed me in the Active Directory Explorer that plain text passwords are on these objects. I just and had so the same same exact thing happen on a pen test like last week. And there was a ton of creds, just clear text attached to AD attributes. So go search your Active Directory environment for, for where your system admins have just blatantly added credentials attached to user objects. Yeah. So the other cool thing is you can look at groups, right? So now Active Directory security groups. So now I know who the developers are. I don't have to go to LinkedIn. I know who the backend engineers are, who the DevOps team are. I know who the security team, the who to watch out for. And you could really profile an organization just by looking at the groups, the users, and the memberships. The other thing that Azure opens up to an attacker is the attack surfaces. A lot of times these single sign-on applications that you might not have been aware of are tied in authorized apps for Azure, which means now you've just expanded the attack surface. And this matters to me on an external or on a, on a red team where I'm external because while a lot of times we might not know those critical servers on the internal infrastructure, if they're a cloud-based organization and they're running like Salesforce and they're running AWS and they're running their infrastructure in these cloud environments, you know, knowing which ones have single sign-on permission is super critical in order to be able to figure out where I'm pivoting because you could literally compromise an entire organization externally without ever hitting the internal network. And so the other thing that it, it opened up to that I noticed was devices. So not only do you know the users of an Active Directory environment in an organization, but now you could also see the last time that they authenticated was using this version of Windows or this mobile device. So now you know, oh, well, they're running Android, which means they're probably running Google services, which means if 
I authenticate to their Google account and jump over to play.google.com, I could push an app to their phone and push my malware or whatever. And so there's all kinds of pivotable surfaces that, that, that arise whenever you're looking at the application portion of Active Directory. And then obviously the directory itself, right? So there's sometimes there's domains or there's, there's partners that they're associating with that you can learn and, and pivot over to. And then obviously the memberships. So I, and I kind of talked on that before, but it's good to know users, groups, and memberships. Plus there's a lot more stuff that's kind of in there. I mean, if you're looking at, if you're doing like what I do, I'll target the most technical at an organization. It, it sounds crazy. A lot of people, I bring it up a lot, but a lot of people are intimidated to target an organization's security team or technical team because they're going to be so on par. But what they're not, what they're failing to realize is that just because they have a specific role doesn't mean that their character traits of that personality um, aren't more inclined to help a user, for instance, because they're just they're they're very outgoing people. And if, if you are targeting an employee that's like that, they're more likely to help you, despite them being a very technical person. And so on um, the psychological side of, of targeting comes into play where now I could say, you know, I know the DevOps team or I know this because I want to engineer because the engineer is going to have the most access, especially if they've been there for a long time. I mean, if, they, if they're an engineer that's been at a large organization for, you know, five years, they probably have a super lax workflow. You know, they've probably been there for a long time, real comfortable. And, and so just it makes it surface a little bit easier. So that's kind of all the cool stuff that this means for playing around in the Active Directory environment. Go to the next one. So we'll talk about now AD Explorer just briefly. I know I touched on it a little bit before, but it's really cool. I'm going to show you the parallel between being internal and looking at Active Directory and being external and being able to look at, at Active Directory. So on an internal environment, using AD Explorer is basically just an Active Directory browser. You could view, you could edit objects, you can kind of look through with all kinds of weird searches. So if you wanted to search on like certain object attributes of that Active Directory object, then you can kind of do that and filter down. And so this tool really gives you that ability to drive home really good browsing of Active Directory in a, in a quick snapshot. The other thing that you could do is, Sally showed me this as well. This is like, she loves this tool. You can create offline snapshots of Active Directory and then just pull it offline so you're not constantly creating that network connection. And that's, I don't know how loud it is. I haven't seen anybody communicate back from the teams that we've tested on how loud it is. I don't know if you've seen anything, Bo, mm -hmm. with yeah, so I don't know how loud it is, but I usually just pull it offline and then because it is pretty slow, especially with an environment with, you know, 30,000 employees. And then you could browse forests and it's just a nice little GUI. So that's basically AD Explorer on the internal. So the next slide real quick will show you kind of the parallel between Azure Active Directory and AD Explorer. So you have all of the same properties that you could view on the users and you could read. You can look at the security groups. You don't get the attack surfaces that you would get on an internal network, which is kind of interesting. And you can still see the device info. I think you can do that with AD Explorer in a weird way. You might not get the actual patch level or the version of operating system that they're running like down to like the specifics, but you, you'd still be able to see like what computers are on the network. So I left that in there. You can still see the domains that are a part of that forest. You can look at memberships. You can't add a guest user or an MFA device. I bring up MFA device because we, we had a customer where we added a guest account. They had two factor. So we had credentials and two-factor token, I added a guest user, and then I just added my own guest MFA device in order to be able to, to authenticate, which was you know, kind of bypassing the whole purpose of having two-factor. And then obviously with internal, you can create a snapshot. You can't really do that with Azure AD as a snapshot, but I'm gonna show you how you can get the data out still. And you could both, uh, in both environments, edit the objects, which is, I think, super relative and, and really useful. And so, 
Now, Active Directory. So there's no nerd left behind with this. This is really cool. So you get the portal if you just want like a super GUI or if you're super lazy and you don't want to have to go, you know, pip install or, or app get install or, you know, PowerShell install. So you could just use your browser and go to azure.portal.com after you authenticate with the user's credentials. And that'll drop you straight into the Azure portal. And then you can click on Active Directory, which I'll show you in a second. Or if you're a Linux neckbeard and you wanted to use like a command line tool, they have it for you. So if you're familiar with like AWS command line tool, there's one called AZ CLI. And it's really useful, but I've noticed that there's some like weird crunkiness with the search filtering when you start trying to narrow down. That wasn't the same on the RM, uh, Azure RM, which is the next one, which is a PowerShell commandlet. And then the other thing is if once I get into the real quick on the portal blocking, like how to block access to this, it doesn't block it for the CLI or the Azure PowerShell commandlet. You have to have conditional access rules, which cost more money. And so whatever. So you can go to the next one. And so the Azure portal is pretty self-explanatory. You go there, uh, portal.azure.com, you're there. You can see the users in the same way. They're the groups. Not much to it, but it's pretty cool. You can go to the next slide. I'm just going to kind of go through these. I just put them on there real quick. And so for Azure, the AZ CLI, the command, if you're in, if you install it, just do AZ login. It'll pop open a browser. It'll select the credential session that you wanted to, to authenticate with. It does the, you know, the funny stuff with the token and then it stores it locally. So you could kind of communicate with AZ directly. You could do AZ AD user list and it'll give you the list of the users. You could do AD, AZ AD group list. It'll give you the list of the groups. You could output to a table form. You could output to a JSON form. If you did target like a engineer, you could do AZ VM list to see which ones they have for VMs. So you can kind of read the stuff there. And there's a link right there if you wanted to get more familiar with the CLI. Okay, and then so Azure RM, very similar workflow that you would do. You would do connect after you install it and you imported it, you would use connect Azure RM account. That's going to prop open the browser and get you to the same thing to go. And then so you can do get Azure RM AD user. It's a little bit more to type, but it gives you the same information. So and it's giving you in PowerShell form. So you have PowerShell objects, the whole nine yards. And so these are just the equivalents. If you look at the link down there and you want to install it, there's the PowerShell Azure overview. It's pretty self-explanatory. The concept's cool, but the way that you use it is going to be the same whether you're you know, using any of these different ones. I do see a question on here that said, do you need admin for the Azure CLI? Well, because you're on your own machine, I don't know whether you do or not. I think, I, I don't know. I think you can install stuff in like a sandbox if like you're under your user, not necessarily. I think he was talking about accessing it remotely. I think you can access you can access it remotely. Just some functions will not be available to you. Yeah, that's true. So you can, as a regular user, a low privilege user, non-admin, you can communicate with Azure Active Directory without having to be an admin. So if you want to go to the next one, I know we're getting demo time. So I'm using AZ login here with allow no subscriptions and use device code. This is another way to do it. You just copy the code, the device code, into your browser. Click the little link. And I'm doing it this way just because I have other subscriptions here and it was easier to do it this way. You see, I'm already logged into the Office 365. And so I pop open that link and I copy that code and then I put it there. And it's basically authenticating that session for that user that's currently logged in to Office 365, which just happens to be an Azure instance that we spun up for this. And so at that point, it's it validated the session. And now I'm going to list the users in Active Directory. And this is from a, a low-level user. And you see that it defaults to JSON on the output, which is beautiful because now you have all of this information. You have the user principal name, you have the address, the phone number, the, the display name you have, there's this phone number I saw, 
you have the street address, which isn't real. Obviously, I changed it before I did that. I didn't want to put that out there. And then you have all this information for that user. So now let's just see what groups that are out there. So you could do AZ AD group list. It spits back a bunch of different groups that are a part of the group. And obviously, we're going to target a specific group. And in this case, there's the ultra group. We have Vuln admins, which looks like an interesting one. So I'm going to pull that object ID off of the Vuln admins group and because I want to see what users are a part of it. So I do AZ AD group member list, and then I pass in that group ID. And that's going to spit back all of the users that are associated with that group. And you'll see there that user principal name, domain admin. And there'll be other users there. Domain admin is the mail nickname, the display name. And so now I could target directly in that direction. And so you have the whole admin group members from the membership. And so um, I think that's all we had. Do we have anything else on this? I think that's all we had for the demo. So yeah, it's pretty straightforward to do. And so how do we lock things down? This is where it gets a little bit tricky and confusing. And I got to be upfront and honest. I still don't fully understand. I've had lots of people tweet at me. I've had lots of people come to me and share me links. I've gone through them. I've tried to understand them. It's difficult. The Azure portal, you could lock down fairly straightforward. As a domain admin, you could log into the Azure portal and there's a little a box that you just check on administration portal, restrict access to AZ, and you could click yes. This does let the admin lock down the ability to pivot over to the portal so that regular users cannot do that. The problem with it is it doesn't block it for the AZ CLI and it doesn't block it for the Azure RM. And so with that, now what do we do? And so there's this thing in Azure called AZ conditional access. And this gives you the ability to add conditional rules. I'll talk about that on the next slide. But before we get there, one thing that I wanted to note is now in order to use the AD conditional access, you have to upgrade to the Azure AD premium. So it's basically you get some security features, which you have to pay for, which is kind of crappy in my eyes. I, I, I hate that. I mean, I think I get the additional access, the conditional access rules as a feature, and there's a lot of complexity that went into the development of it. But I think that they should include that in the price and even charge more for the original price, not have somebody have to upgrade in order to get it. I just think that's horrible. So the conditional access rules are a really cool feature. You, you have the ability to allow or block access to different functionality. You could do it through like a policy. So you know what policies are. I'm not going to get into the policies, but being able to say, yes, you could do this if you're this type of user or if you're in this user group. Traditionally, it was built to lock down on cloud apps, I think. They've morphed it into allowing it for Azure management as well. And it does apply to all the Azure management end portals, except for Azure AD PowerShell, which is weird. This is actually new to me. Now, I thought that the conditional access rules were available to lock down the CLI and the PowerShell, but I, I was told by somebody that it wasn't, and they sent me a link to back up what they were saying. And so I clicked on the link, I read the article, and then at the bottom of the article, it did say except Azure AD PowerShell, which was a mind-blowing thing for me as well. So now I don't even know what to tell people on how to block the PowerShell. I don't know. But yeah, it's there. So we, so Derek at Black Hills, um, Derek Rausch, did some research and digging into this in order to kind of lock it down and try to provide a solution without having to upgrade to a, the, the Azure AD Premium. And he learned that you could set this flag, the set mSole company settings, and then pass in this hyphen users permission to read other users enabled to false. What that does, it doesn't block all of the Azure AD objects, but it does restrict users from being able to read other users. 
So it's definitely a step in the right direction. And then I, I demonstrated it. I, he changed it and then I tried to read it and it said insufficient privileges to complete this operation. And so that tended to fix the problem, at least at a cursory glance. You know, it doesn't restrict all the other cool stuff that I talked about earlier, but it does make it a little bit more difficult. So that's the end of that segment. You can follow us on Twitter. Bo's obviously at DAFTAC and I'm at You Stay Ready. There's a link to Black Hills. There's some, there's a link to Bo's RDP spray tool. Yep. RDP spray. Yep. yep. So if you want to test out that, if you want to test out that, uh, that script, I mean, you just need to make sure you have hostname CTL and XFreeRDP on system, which Kali Linux has. Really easy to just run from Kali. Yeah, and I would suggest if if you like the tool and you want to see a lot of features, go there and submit a bunch of feature requests on his GitHub. Oh, come on. <laughs> no, but I mean, if there's a big I'm the, demand for it. You're saying that because I'm the worst at like actually uh, pushing pull requests. No, no, actually not that at all. I was thinking that RDP spray would be a really cool tool to have. And if there's demand yeah, for it, I think it'll, it'll create itself. For sure. I actually found some PowerShell libraries that I think will work. Mike, what happened to the Casper proof of concept? Okay. Great question. So I did see actually a number of people tweeted at me saying that Alex and Gabby released Gabby's Python tools, which I thought was super cool. I haven't got a chance to check them out yet and I will release Casper now. I just, I've been so inundated with all kinds of other stuff that I wanted to make sure that I at least clean up some of the code base so that I could pull out some of the stuff that we didn't use that I built for. Cause we actually used Casper for the research. So I, I just want to make sure I get some of that stuff out before I make it plus I'm OCD. So I don't like, I, I like organization and, and we're going to, I think we're going to do a WNF webcast too. Yeah. Point. I think we're, I think we're doing that probably soon. So soon, we maybe yeah. we'll, maybe we'll release it on the webinar. Maybe that's a good yep. idea. We had a great time. Thanks for hanging out. I guess we shall see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Black Hills Information Security Podcast. Remember, if you enjoyed this podcast, make sure to leave a positive review. Previous night at Mike's house, like the scorpions were in his house rocking out, you know, here I am, da -da, da -da, yeah. rock you like a, and now they left.